and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. Each week I'll be talking to some incredible guests and I hope by hearing each episode they will offer you a valuable source of inspiration and insight. From incredible life stories to a variety of important subjects, all to help you with your quest to change your relationship with alcohol. All of my guests are at different points in their journeys and each of them have powerful and uplifting stories and information to share. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to subscribe and of course, leave a review. My guest today on One for the Road is Tanya Bardsley, who is one of the country's best known reality TV personalities, as well as being an author, model and life coach. Tanya starred in The Real Housewives of Cheshire for almost a decade. However, at the same time, was struggling with a perfect storm of ADHD symptoms, perimenopause and self-medicating using alcohol. Following a breakdown at the end of 2022, Tanya spent time in rehab and has completely re-evaluated her relationship with alcohol. And she's recently celebrated her first anniversary of being alcohol-free and has never felt better. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. So good morning, Tanya. Welcome to my podcast, One for the Road. Um, we good scheduled morning, it David. In. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we scheduled it in last week, but you wasn't too well. But you're all back to normal now and you're looking great. So thank you for uh, joining thank me. Thank you. Yeah, I've got four kids and they bring every germ home. I get it all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I bet you do. Yeah. So as you know, you've listened to my podcast before. We yeah. like to start it from the beginning. Um, and you were born in Wigan, but grew up in North Yorkshire. What was it like for you growing up? Well, um, I actually grew up sort of everywhere because my dad was in the armed forces. So born in Wigan, uh, where my mum's from. My dad's from Liverpool um, in Village Hospital. They've knocked it down now. Um, and I moved to Germany when I was three weeks old. So um, I lived in uh, Duisburg, Munster, uh, Dusseldorf, um, and lived there for the first 11 years of my life and then moved to Abingdon, Oxford. So I had to change schools a lot. And for a shy girl, it was a bit of a nightmare. Um, um, and I think that's where my social anxiety started. But I had a great upbringing, like the best mum and dad I could ever ask for. Um, and I have lots of good memories. Um, and then when I moved to England, it was just a different world because it was with not armed forces children. I'd only been with armed forces children. So, um, yeah, it was just a totally different life. Uh, then I, um, I went through a lot of bad bullying, like really bad for about three years. Um, and then we moved to North Yorkshire and then finished my teenage years there. So that must have been uh, unsettling for you to keep moving, though. You know, like I moved schools as well when I was about 12, and I found that really difficult, actually. It was a funny time to move, but did, do you think that um, had an effect on your growing up, or did you quite enjoy it? Well, to me, it was it was normal. And when I was little, it, um, I mean, I was always just, like, painfully, painfully shy. Like, I wouldn't even speak when I was about eight. My sister had to do the speaking for me. And she would always get me friends. My, my little sister, Sherry, uh, she's two years younger than me. 
um she was outgoing and she would I'd go and get me friends and stuff so yeah it was just normal but looking back yeah it was probably it probably did affect me yeah so how did you manage with the bullying then? Because I was bullied as well. And I mean, I was a big lad at school and I got bullied by the smallest kid in the playground. Yeah. And it kind of had an effect on me for a long time after that. Because like, I felt, well, how, why didn't I stand up for myself? But I was like you. I was really shy, timid. I wasn't really streetwise as well at that time. Yeah. Uh, and it had a big effect it, on me. Yeah. Well, it got so, it got so bad that I, was, uh, I tried to take my own life. And uh, that's like, I really, really hate bullies now. And if I ever see it, then, um, and like you say, like, I just look back and think, why didn't I stand up for myself? But it was older girls and like they, they was in a gang. Um, and I just moved new to the area and one of their boyfriends fancied me and they were going to give me a Chelsea smile, which is they cut at the side of your mouth and punch you in the stomach. So it's split. So yeah, that was a horrific time. And I kind of blanked a lot of it out. I think just trauma wise. Um, but yeah, that was horrific. Oh, it is horrific. I've heard of it, but I didn't understand how, how um, that happened. But yeah. when you say you tried to take your own life, how old was you then then? Um, so the first, um, I think I was like 13. I mean, my memory's not great. I'm ADHD and perimenopausal, so <laughs> I can't even remember my, my bank code at the moment. Yeah, I was 13. Um, and yeah, it was just horrific. Okay, so moving later on into your teens, what happened then? I moved uh, to North Yorkshire and found some great friends. And then I sort of turned the other way. There was no way I would get bullied then. No way. And that's when we started drinking cider in the snicket before youth club and things. And I like that. It sort of gave me confidence. Um, and I wasn't shy. And I think that's where it started. Yes, yeah, sounds like me. Yeah. It just gives you this false false confidence. Yeah, especially if you've had that kind of upbringing where you're nervous around people, and you and you know, I can really relate to that. And I, I've quite often spoken about it that when the lads come round to my house and knocked on my door, I used to say to my dad, "I'll tell him I'm not well or something," because I couldn't handle it. But yeah. then when my mum left and my dad met someone else. I decided I had no other option. And it was then when we went up the shops and they used to give the adults like the loose chains had pinched from down the side of the sofa that we would start drinking. And it was like a new world for me, you know, like, like it was that yeah. magic tablet of, oh, my God, I feel really confident and I can make people laugh and I feel happy. Yeah. And there was no hangovers then either. Not that I remember. No, I do. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> I probably didn't drink like you. You know, I I, I remember one time I, I drank a whole bottle of martini. Oh, my God. I didn't even like it. was like shoe polish. And oh, I just goodness. threw up. I, I had a, a record deck with a lid and I ripped the lid off and threw up in the lid. It's oh, like, God. oh, my God. It was just disgusting. Oh, awful. Yeah. But you, you how old were you when you got into the modelling career then? Um, I was um, about 20 um, and see I didn't drink a lot because I didn't have the money to um, and uh, when, I were, when I was 21 I had my daughter and I was a single mom uh, so I didn't have the money to have a problem because I didn't drink a lot but then when I was on the modeling shoots and everything the champagne's flowing and it's all free and um, 
and I was confident and loved it. But then I'd had to go home to my daughter mm. and there was no money to be carrying on anything like that. So I think having no money sort of saved me in those early days. Mm. How did the modelling start then? What was your break there? Um, I won a competition um, in FHM. It was the first um, first non-celebrity to be on the cover of FHM. And I outsold the Daylo cover, the most popular one. So wow. that was amazing. Yeah. So like a little five foot three girl from living in North Yorkshire. And, and it was quite big then because it was before all the reality shows and everything like that. So it was like kind of the first reality thing that, mm. that was done. Yeah, I've had guests on here before that have dealt in the fashion industry and they say drinking's rife because of all the, f- the freebies you get. And Yeah, it's just everywhere, everywhere. But what saved me was I would go in and um, I'd get straight back to my daughter. So I wasn't there constantly. I think if I didn't have my daughter, God, I would have been in a mess those days. Yeah, and it was good actually that you could turn it off. Yeah. Because you get to a stage where you can't. And, you know, um, many guests on here, they... You know, the off switch, it, it's like you were responsible enough to, to go home and look after your daughter yeah. without opening the bottle of wine. Did that change over the years? Um, so then I had uh, another baby. Then I met Phil and I had another baby. Um, and my kids always saved me so because um, I just loved being with them. And so I only drank once a week because I couldn't get up. I couldn't get up with them. And it was only probably when I started, when I moved to Cheshire and I started The Housewives and it was filming most days and uh, every scene was sort of champagne and, and stuff like that. And I mean, I don't blame The Housewives for it. I don't mean, I don't blame like, the programme or, or the TV for it. It was actual Housewives that would bring champagne and, and even I bought champagne. And then, yeah, it just got more and more often and I was on antidepressants, which um, I thought I had anxiety and depression. Um, and then I found out that it wasn't that <clears throat> it was undiagnosed ADHD. So I think all the drinking and and then when I uh, then to turn myself off from drinking, I would take diazepam at night. So I just thought, oh, it's just a sleeping tablet. I now know that they are the worst thing that you can take for your mental health. Um, um, so I was on antidepressants, drinking diazepam at night. And it was a cycle of that. And then feeling lost, I thought, oh, I'll have a champagne, perk me up. Oh, I feel a bit anxious, um, probably because of all the effects of that. Oh, I'll have a champagne, perk me up. Um, oh, I can't sleep, I'll have a diazepam. So, yeah, just years of build of that building up. Um, and then I hit the perimenopause, and my God, I was, I, was a, I was a disaster, absolute disaster. Like, this time last year, I was in a very, very bad way. Probably just drinking, um, not loads every day, but some every day and then the diazepam at night to go to sleep because my ADHD brain was just wild um and the only thing that did quiet my mind or make me feel happy or make me feel a little bit confident was uh drinking or diazepam at night or an antidepressants I feel really sad to you Tanya hearing it because it's a domino effect isn't it yeah it's you were trying to manage your life um with the solution at the time and you know i've worked in tv as well and i know you get the highs and the lows of that with the exhaustion of the hours on end of the filming and and the adrenaline and whatnot and then you go on to a different life which is your family and feel and then you're back on set and 
It's like yeah. you're in a uh, on a merry-go-round where you've been spun around continuously, aren't you? And you're just trying yeah. to cope the best way you can. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So then with all that, when I got diagnosed with ADHD, they kept giving me ADHD tablets. But of course, I was on antidepressants, I was drinking, I was having diazepam, and then I was adding in these new drugs, um, which, oh my God, the worst thing ever. Plus the menopause. Uh, uh yeah plus the perimenopause yeah um and of course when the doctor says you're not going to drink on these are you no no you're not taking anything else are you no no i'm not of course i am so um yeah, looking back i'll just think what are you doing <laughs> what were you doing Tanya? but at the time when you're in it you just did you talk to anyone about it or was you holding it all in on your own um yeah so i've got um my amazing friend dj fat tony he really really helped me um and i've got a therapist uh diane um so i tried um stopping and that's when i didn't think i had a drink problem it was only when i tried to stop that i thought well why am i drinking again why why can't i just stop and then at that point i was only drinking at weekends but i was binge drinking because i thought i deserved it uh and I'm in my 40s. I could do what I want. That was a good old line. When mm. people when my husband was saying, look, you can't be doing that. It's like, I'm 40. I'll do what I want. And I could, and now that I'm sober, I can see people doing those lines that I used to do, thinking, oh, no. Mm. no. It's denial, isn't it? It's, it's denial. Like admitting there's a problem. And I always say, if you want to find out if you've got a problem with drinking, stop drinking. Yeah, yeah. And it's easy to do for 30 days. Well, easy-ish. Um, but, yeah, then it's like the the waiting to the, the just go and just get rid of those cravings. Yeah, well, it's not just that. It's like when you do 30 days, it's always kind of an end to it. And you think, oh, well, it's almost doing 30-day prison sentence. And, you know, you're coming yeah. out at the end of it. But it's when you decide, actually, I've had enough and I'm going to stop altogether is when it's a different story, right? So, yeah. But you you were on all these medications, and when did you kind of find out about the ADHD? Because I I, I am aware now, it appears to be a buzzword, right? Oh, I, you know, I've probably got ADHD. You know, I've looked at myself, and my overthinking is ridiculous, you know? Yeah. Um, and when did you decide to explore that? Um, well, I, I went to see a specialist about, um, my anxiety, um, because it just wasn't going away. It was a burning, rushing feeling and panic attacks and things. Um, and he was watching me for the hour, asking me all these questions. And then he put his pen and paper down and said, I'm, I need to do more tests, but I'm 99% sure you've got ADHD, not anxiety. I was like, what? I just never in a million years would have thought that. So I came home and told my mum and Phil and they were sat on the sofa and I thought my mum's going to go mad because I've not got ADHD. And they both looked at each other and she went, well, I've always known there was something. I was like, well, bloody hell. <laughs> and then she said, well, we need to get Rocco uh, on my son checked because he's exactly the same as me, like the emotional dysregulation, like can't find something, nah, nah, or hyper-focusing on stuff and then just hyper and wild. and uh, Yeah, so, um, yeah, both of us have got it. So do you, you're on medication now? No, so I had such a bad um, time on the medications. One, uh, it just took away all personality. Um, I was, it was like I was mute. I was very happy. I was very calm. But I was like, 
which I can't do on TV. Another one I was erratic. I was actually making my fingers bleed just like this. And then the third one I had a seizure on. Lots of ladies do have um, great results with some of the medications, but I just didn't. I, I think it's probably being wrongly diagnosed and having all these different antidepressants and the chemicals in my brain were just shocked. Um, and also, um, ADHD was mainly a boy thing, and I think it was geared towards them. Like My son thrives on the medication, but women's hormones are up and down, and, and just with these chemicals on top, it just didn't, it didn't suit me. Sounds like a recipe for disaster, doesn't it? ADHD, perimenopausal, diazepam, alcohol, and you're only little. I'm only little. Yeah, think what it was doing to your poor body and your brain. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, I was actually starting to get a bit of psychosis as well when I was drinking, like thinking people were talking about me. I remember last Christmas and Christmas Day, I was crying on Christmas Day because I drank Christmas Eve and... um, I forgot to get a couple of presents for the kids and I'd wrapped up a couple of presents wrong because I thought I'd have a few drinks um, and then obviously just got them muddled up and I just felt like the worst person in the world. I was actually thinking I just need to end it. People would be better off without me, which is the most ridiculous thing. Um, As if my four kids would be better off without me, it would absolutely ruin their lives. Mm. Um, And that's when I said to Phil uh, and DJ Factone said, um, you need to go to rehab. So um, that's when I decided to go to Thailand and I went to a rehab, uh, the cabin in um, Chiang Mai. And it was the best decision I ever made. Well, and when was this, Tonya? I went on January the 4th. That was the first opening that they had. This year? I said to, uh, yeah, I said to Phil, if I, if, I, if I don't do something now, I'm going to end up in a box. That's how bad I was. Right. Okay. And how was that for you? Um, it was scary uh, and I felt horrific for like leaving my family for four weeks. But it was better that than me ending up dead. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I went and um, the, the psychiatrists there are amazing. Um, uh, and um, a lot of it is um, holistic. But they said when, we were, when you're in the classes and one-to-one, they said... Um, a lot of people have addictions um, because of trauma or um, trauma, ADHD. I've got so many people were there with ADHD because it quiets, it quiets the mind and we're impulsive. We're very impulsive. So like when I'll say, oh, I'll stop it. And then someone says, do you want a drink? I'll just go, fuck it, yeah. Yeah. But um, the psychiatrist um, on my notes, it says that mine was down to social anxiety. That's why I drank. Because I'm so shy and I'd stopped loving myself. Um, I don't know if I ever did love myself. I was shy and I would bully myself in my own mind. I think carrying on from what the bullies originally did to me, I carried on doing that to myself. And it, and so many people do do it. Like you look in the mirror and just say, oh, you're fat, God. And that's a voice we hear most most in our life. Mm. And it's really interesting, isn't it? Being that you were a glamour model and yeah. how you felt about yourself. Yeah. Well, even that, I used to bully myself for going, God, you're embarrassing everyone. You're embarrassing your family. And but that was the only, my only way of making money, like good money for my daughter. And when you got on Housewives of Cheshire, I mean, although, I mean, to be, I will be honest, I don't really watch them, <laughs> but I, I know about them all. And, and the mummy wine culture, like the champagne and whatever, is that absolutely rife in these kind of 
programs. Yeah, it is. But just in life in general now. Yeah. Um, ladies do lunch and, um, yeah, and the charity lunches and the charity balls and the um, everything is just, alcohol is just everywhere. I know it is. Um, and, you know, I've been to events, cancer events where, um, charity cancer events where there's free bars and, and it's getting swilled back like the clappers and it's like... Yeah, and everyone's having a fag outside. <laughs> it's ridiculous, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But um, I always remember when I was in another uh, trade, I was in the carpet game, right, and, and at four o'clock the mummies would come back with the kids from the school and you would hear the, well, Prosecco um, courts popping off, right? And... Now, I think, I wonder how many people went home with a problem with booze and, and opened their own bottle up and they didn't talk about it with their friends because of the shame. And that's yeah. what I find a lot of secret drinking now, a lot of conversations where you're all together. And it's not just women, it's men. I think but yeah. men talk about it more. You know, men brag about it. Yeah, God, I went home and had a few more beers after the pub and fell asleep on the sofa where yeah. women, maybe because of a mum or a professional, whatever, right, it's, it's not really spoken about. And did you find yourself being sort of more secretive about your drinking with your Yeah, family? yeah, in the end, because I was struggling mentally and then, like, I'd come home from uh, work or just uh, at an event or something and my mum would feel like, have you had a drink? And I'd go, no, no, I haven't, I haven't. And I was lying when I had because when I got there and I was just like, oh God, I need a drink to even speak to people and then come home and lie about it. It's just insanity, isn't it? Yeah. Really, really. It's just insane. Oh, it's, it's, but it's when you have to come out of it to look back into it, to see how yeah. ridiculous it was. Because when I think about the amount of things that I used to do, waste my life, like even like all day lockings in the pub, I'll be there at midday and vow to myself, I ain't coming out until the last bell rings. I'm going to do the shift in the pub. It's like, well, that's a whole Sunday completely wasted. Monday, I, I used to drive to work feeling like absolute hell, looking in my mirror to see if the police were behind me. Yeah, creepy crawlies in you. <laughs> oh, it's horrible, isn't it? Um, but the yeah. manic depression and the anxiety, and I was on antidepressants, and it was a waste of time because alcohol is a massive depressant anyway. Yeah. And I can really relate to your psychotic thing because I had my dose doubled, and I was seeing things, you know. Like yeah. I, I was mad um, when that happened within the first week. Um, but, but, like, you come out of rehab after four weeks. Mm-hmm. How did that feel coming back to reality in the sense, isn't it? It's like, you know, when you're locked inside and you've got all the therapists there and yeah. been weaned off, it's quite safe, isn't it? But when you come back, how was well, you that? Know, you know, when um, when you pass your driving test um, and then the driving instructor says, yeah. now you, this is when you begin to learn to drive, now you've passed your test. And I was like, oh, well, it's a bit like that. Um, because you're coming back and everything there's just alcohol everywhere and all my friends and the things we used to do all just revolved around alcohol um and even me and my husband used to go out and just have a drink together and so it was all of that and then when there was parties and stuff or, or even funerals um I felt lonely I felt really lonely and the first three months was probably really, was well maybe 
I would say I'd, I, I only got used to it after six months. Mm. That's when it was like, oh, okay. And I think because I'd, I'd managed to get new habits or, or, or um, like go for breakfast instead of lunches, which involved alcohol and stuff like that. And now I've got a new way of life. Um, but yeah, it took to six months for me to feel not lonely and not like a leper. <laughs> I can understand that. But I found the community pretty quickly because I tried AA in the beginning and it didn't really work for me. It just didn't feel right in my gut. Uh, and then I went to an event and met some people. And, that, and that's when I realized actually there's so many of us out here trying to do it, you know. And I felt. And they're all cool people. Like I've been to a few AAs and yeah. uh, and DJ Fat Tony had one, um, uh, an online one, uh, like after the pandemic. Um, and it, and it's all really cool people. Yeah, I did join a couple of Tonys actually, invited me on one, and it was all right. Yeah, I, went, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. I, I do daily ones myself now, um, every lunchtime. Oh, do you? I'll have to yeah, come on one. Yeah, just just people come along and, you know, and it's a little group I've created, you know, because people need support and they need community. It's yeah. really important. But when you come out and and you come back to the real world, what about your friends? Did they all support you or were there? Yeah, they were really, really supportive. Um, like and we've got a group chat of like me and my and my close friends and the and in the beginning they were like oh god um, I need I need I need a drink or something and then they're like oh god sorry Tanya sorry Tanya and I was like no that's really good you know and you didn't have any sort of resistance there of go on you're all right you can have one no and I think people I think people saw I looked ill I looked really ill uh, and I, I, they were scared. They were scared, I think. Talk to me about your perimenopausal, though, because I had Dr. Rebecca Lewis on here, who's a, a menopause specialist, right? And we were talking about it and, that, you know, how alcohol is the worst thing you could have um, when you're going through the perimenopause. How did it affect you? Well, it made it made my ADHD more intense, um, a lot more intense, more impulsive thoughts. Um um and drink it and then I was having intrusive thoughts, um, like really horrible thoughts. Um, and then the hot sweats and, and even more when I was drinking, and just the brain fog. Mm. Oh just just like a different person. Anger bouts, um, everyone got on my nerves. Um, even but when I was drinking, I've always been a nice drunk, which was a problem as well, because I thought, well, I I'm just a nice drunk. There's no I'm not a nasty drunk. I was becoming a bit psycho on it. Bet Phil was pleased with that, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, no, not happy. It's <laughs> <laughs> a fuck off, Phil. <laughs> well, the thing is, right, it, um, you were on the cocktail of drugs plus that with the side mm-hmm. effects of perimenopause as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I wonder you felt psychotic because it's, a you know, a blend. You were like, when you look at the neurotransmitters and how they all work when, when you're drug-free, they're all still up and down and, and you know you have good days bad days but when you're mixing diazepam then waking up in the morning you've got symptoms of perimenopause your ADHD is kicking in your antidepressants are sending you all over the place and then you have a drink yeah <laughs> yeah no wonder isn't t- it? ticking time bomb it's Russian roulette isn't it oh oh yeah what so you're like 10 months sober now yeah nearly 11 am I 11 
Oh, it's December, isn't it? <laughs> I've lost yeah, no. of time. Yeah, I'm 11, I'm 11, 11, 11 months sober. Yeah, so you celebrate your, your anniversary on the 4th of January. Well, no, because I stopped drinking on the, on the 30th. Of December. Yeah. Oh, so that's coming up soon. Yes. So yes. have the kids noticed a difference in you? Oh, my God, they're thriving. They love it. They love it. They didn't like me going out. I hardly go out now. Um, I try and force myself to go to some events, but then I'm straight back, which they love. Because it wasn't just me going out for the night. Then I'd be in bed for, like, at least minimum two days. Yeah. Oh, what was, you can't, I can't be doing that with my kids. When you say about going out, I remember, actually, that cancer event. I, I met Michelle Heaton there. Um, oh, yeah. She was with a couple of friends there. And because of the bar, she stayed an hour tops because she really struggled. And I, I gave her a hug and she felt so frail at the time. Do you know what I mean? She, she yeah. in a, right at the beginning of her sober journey. And I think mm-hmm. because everyone was drinking, it was just too much for her. Yeah, and I think so. The first, uh, the first few months, I would say one to two hours, and everyone would know that, and I just leave. Mm. I like now I can I can dance and stuff, and and I think it was like it was in the summer, um, and I went to a festival, um, and I just wanted to make sure my son was in there and got in the VIP bit and everything, so he was safe. You don't just leave at my festival, um, and then and then I looked at the clock and I've been there five hours and I was dancing sober, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's just gradual. It's like a muscle. You've got to build it up. You've got, and your confidence builds. And the more you do it, you go for one hour and that's building up a little bit of confidence. Yeah. And the next time, two hours and, and, and your social confidence um, as well. And do most people know now you don't drink and it's not really a, a question for you? Um, well, I put it on my um, Instagram um, and I did that. Um, my husband was like, well, why are you putting it on Instagram? Why do you want everyone to know? Um, and I did it. Uh, one of the reasons, many reasons, but one of the reasons was that no one, someone, if I went to a bar, someone would say, I thought you were drinking um, because I just didn't trust myself. I mean, I trust myself now, but. Held you accountable, really? Yes. Yeah. And has your sobriety had a knock on effect with anyone you know? Because quite often you become the mirror of someone. And they look at you, and this is why you get so much bloody crap when you first stop, right? Because they go, oh, you ain't got a problem. There's nothing wrong with you because yeah. they're, they're actually saying, I ain't got a problem. Is there anything wrong with me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've, oh, God, I've had so many, so many messages saying that they've stopped because I stopped, and uh, which I love. I'm, and it spurs me on to carry on going as well. It's really interesting, isn't it? Did did you have any weak moments though, like leading up? Um, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it was probably only a few weeks ago, actually. You know, when you're walking around, um, uh, and it was in um, it was in Selfridges and the Christmas music and everything, and then the champagne stall, and, mm. and then I felt, fuck, what? Why? The and insanity just comes back, so you've always just got to be aware of it. Always. I had it as well. I said uh, before I was in Lincoln and um, I, it caught me by surprise. It was like an ex jumping out on you and going, da-da, here I am. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. oh, my God. Um, and it was the same as you. It's the association. It was the particular time of day. It was a Saturday afternoon. 
all of that stuff and it kind of ticked into my brain and it's like oh wouldn't it be nice and I'm five years now do you know what I mean and it and it's like where's that come from and it made me a bit edgy yeah Um, I mean at Easter time you know we kept having lots of bank holidays and they were all sunny and I was like where were these long bank holiday sunnies when I when I drank and and people keep offering me babysitters and I was like oh my god if I was drinking now there was never um, a bank holiday and there was never a sunny bank holiday and there was never a babysitter all three and now we've got all three and that used to oh that used to send me crazy but I got through it yeah now an awkward question now is does Phil prefer this version of you the non-drinking I'm not sure because he drinks and uh, I think he finds me a little bit judgy now i'm not judgy um but i just don't want him to drink because i want him to sit with me <laughs> so like gone are our days where because me and him just used to love to go on a little bender together but well, yeah uh, that's taken a lot of time to work through um uh, when one one drinks and one doesn't yeah that's taken a lot of time but we seem to have got there now. it's really difficult because quite a lot of people they come to me for help with that conversation is and I always say to them like it's it's good at the beginning to ask how they feel keep checking in because we go on our little journey don't we or big journey yeah and then we're getting healthy we're getting fit we start to look better and we start to sleep better and and then we start to say oh yeah so I listened to this great podcast or I saw this documentary um and I've read this book and oh, do you have to have another one? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. That comes in, and then you're like, we go off on this road, and now, well, actually, I've lost my drinking partner. It's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard, and I think he did find it really hard for the first six months. But now I can sit at a beach club while he has a drink, and I, I, it doesn't bother me, and I don't get all judgy. Um, but yeah, it took, it, it takes time. Have you had a holiday yet? Yes, I've had, uh, I think I've had like three holidays now. Have you? Uh, best holidays ever. Yeah. Best holidays ever. Like normally I say, oh, Phil, you take the kids to the water parks. I'm either hungover or I'd rather just sit with a strawberry daiquiri at the beach. And I've been whizzing down slides and getting the dopamine hit, adrenaline run, which I've never would have done that before. It changes, doesn't it, what you look for in life. I mean, I've had a few yeah. days before and I had one little twinge once, but I've got over that. And it's you actually get on the plane at the end of the holiday and you feel like you've yeah. had a holiday. Yes. And uh, we went to uh, we went for a couple of days um, to Ibiza, me and Phil, uh, to watch DJ Fat Tony. And because I've got sober friends now, like they weren't drinking or anything. Um, and that was the first time I've been to Ibiza where I haven't wanted the plane just to fucking crash at the end. I was in such a bad state. Yeah. I was like, oh, God. Yeah, I know. I loved it. So health-wise now, you're feeling a lot better. Um, what about all the other stuff? Like, you're not on ADHD meds, diazepam? No, no, no. So when I went to rehab, they, they said, because I didn't think they were bad. Um, and they, they look in your suitcase to make sure you've got no meds or or anything with you or alcohol. Um, and they was like, what, these are benzos. And I was like, no, they're diazepam. And they were going, these are so bad for you. And I was like, what? Just how we sleep? And I took some to rehab with me thinking I could have them there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't know. That's so addictive. Yeah. That, you know, you mix them too. It's such a lethal cocktail. Um, yeah. 
So you're off to them. You're off to booze. Yeah. You're and smoking. Stop smoking. Wow. Off the fags. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a new life. Yeah. It's amazing. My skin's just trying to, I used to spend like thousands on trying to, on all these face creams and everything. And all I needed to do was stop smoking and drinking. So now, how do you feel about yourself? Um, I I feel like I'm the best mom in the world now, and that means that, that means the most to me. Um, and I couldn't have said that this time last year. Yeah, but how do you feel about yourself? I love myself. Yeah, yeah. See what I mean? This is yeah. the big thing, right? Because all the time we're on this hamster wheel. Of self-destruction, it's self-harming all the time, isn't it? It's constant yeah. self-harming. And that can tap into the trauma from growing up or a poor relationship when you're younger, not feeling loved as a child, whatever it is, right? Big T's, little T's, I call them. And you'd carry that through life. And we'd self-destruct ourselves, don't we, by drugs and and we're depressed and anxious and we try and find quick solutions all the time to to get better, right? But it's making us worse. But when you remove them, that's what makes you better. And you can look in the mirror in the morning and go, do you know what? I'm all right, I am. Yeah, yeah. I remember I used to be like, go to the gym every week like, and thinking, um, uh, being healthy, not, not drank all week and like, right, I'm going to press the big bucket button now, I deserve it. Like, what is that thinking? It's insanity. It's because you you can't really see outside the box can you you know like i think it's that work hard play hard thing isn't it like you might have had a really good week on that show um and you think do you know what i'm at home now i deserve a treat and and it isn't is it it's a temporary solution to a problem and then mixed with the symptoms of the perimenopause and it's just a disaster isn't it and then we loathe ourselves because we know we've got a problem really and this is why uh, the denial comes in isn't it and yeah well alcohol is a poison so it's a problem for everyone who drinks it because it's a poison and it's just everywhere but i do i do think there is a sober revolution on its way i really do and do you think like your besties and that that they're gonna follow suit with you like one day. Yeah, they, I don't think they drink half as much as they used to. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think we've got to keep banging the drum, getting messages out there, um, yeah. and letting people know you you can live a life without it, and it's not boring. You know, I did a post, and it was about that. Quite often, it's the opposite of what we think when we're drinking. So, my, my yeah. Well, if if it was boring, I said I would have started back drinking again. Yeah. So. So if there's people listening to this now, um, what would you suggest to them to start? I do love AA, though, and they say to do AA uh, 90, 90 meetings in 90 days, don't they? I do, I do love AA. Uh, and just keep, just keep going till you find one that you like. I think you need to find out what works for you, right? Yeah, but, find, but also find uh, like podcasts like yourself. It, I, it just immerse yourself. Um, podcast, quick lit books, and just find what works for you. I think so. And connect with the community. I mean, the sober community on socials is really good. Um, and, you know, you can mix and match as well. You know, yeah. AA didn't work for me, 
but I've got a friend who goes to AA and I did say to him, like, I'll come along with you one night um, and sit with you in the meeting, you know. Yeah. But at the time it didn't work, but that's fine. I've often said, it's like we go shopping, say up the King's Road, right, and you say, let's go in this shop. And I'm going, nah, not really my thing. And then I'll take you in a shop and you go, that's not mine. That's how it is, right? You have to find out yeah. what works for you. Yeah. Like I used to do the the AA, but um, now that I'm okay, I can't sit. I've got ADHD, so I can't sit for an hour. I get all fidgety and I need to be off doing stuff. So, yeah, um, I just uh, – but the 12 steps, I think to go until you know the 12 steps is, is crucial because I do I – pr- I pray every every day now. I think that some of the steps are, are really important for life anyway. Yeah, um, definitely. But, yeah, yeah there's mixed sort of um, – ideas about that but it works for you and that's yeah. great and do you still go to meetings now then no I don't really go to meetings um because like I say I've I don't feel like I'm in that space um and I do get a bit fidgety and I've got stuff to do and but if, if I if I was feeling like I was on a downward slide or I would slide I would get myself in there yeah how do you deal with that then? If you're not, you're not on medication for ADHD, like, is have you found ways of managing it on your own now? Um, yeah, I just um, <clears throat> so I meditate every morning. I have to exercise. I have to watch. Uh, I have to drink my water. I have fish oils, evening primrose oil, uh, lion's mane mushrooms, um, and and I just embrace it. And it's awareness. Like I think. If, if I'm on a spin, I just go, oh, just breathe, fucking ADHD brain. And just the awareness of it. Or, like, I'll catch myself this morning. I was going, we've not got these prints ready. We've not got this ready. And then I go, right, just calm it. You've been erratic. Just, mm. just chill out. Maybe you so, identify it more now you're sober. Because you're yeah. not living in, I always say chaos creates chaos. And your life sounded chaotic to me with everything. And when you come out of it, you can process it and analyze it and go, no, stop. It's my ADHD brain. Let's work it out. Let's breathe. This five minutes. A lot of people say, well, what's the point getting diagnosed if I'm not going to take medication? And, and I do say, well, it, it, it is the awareness of it and having the tools. And mm. um, yeah, awareness is key for me. There's a great podcast called uh, ADHD Chatter with Alex Partridge. Um, and uh, he's, he was the founder of Lad's Bible. Oh, uh, yes, I spoke to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great, isn't he? Yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah. He took me out in his Range Rover for a drive. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> <laughs> like being at Fort Park with him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I met him for dinner. He's a, he's a top bloke, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it is, you know, like more and more people are comparing how they are. Um, with Because for me, it was – the turning the volume off because I was such an overthinker. I was really fussy, overanalyze everything and like so many things fidgety. And I haven't gone for diagnosis because it's almost like, do I really need to be diagnosed when I know where I am with my overthinking is I have to divert my brain sometimes and just slow down. think, all right, take a breath do some even if it's watching half an hour of something just to take my mind it's it gathers momentum do you know what i mean yeah well you're already doing the steps anyway so yeah yeah so what does the future look like tanya what what you got coming up 
Um, so God, what am I? What have I got coming up? Um, so I, I still go back on Housewives as a guest and just full time mommy and just doing bits and bobs that make me happy. Yeah, because my my kids' schedules are just um, even more intense now. Like two uh, two of my boys are signed to football clubs. They're really good. So they have they train four times a week each and in different like areas, and then my little one as well. And um, so yeah. Life is busy. I was yeah. a football manager for 10 years, so I know oh, what is it's you? like. Yeah, it's just crazy. And a friend of mine's son is uh, in the England camp, you know, as a oh, goalkeeper. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. you virtually give your whole life up for it, don't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's full time. And yeah. when you go back on the housewives as a guest, does it feel different now you don't drink? Uh, yeah, it does. At first I felt a bit left out. Um but then when you stop drinking, it, it, you realise fucking hell, no one really, a lot of people weren't drinking and I just thought they were. Yeah, it's bad, isn't it? I, I was the same. I realised I was the enabler as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I was the one yeah. drinks to justify my own drinking. And it's always the ones who go, come on, don't be boring, have one. They're the ones with the problem. Because I was one of those. I think it's fantastic. Uh, congratulations to you as well. Thank you. What What are you going to be doing for your one year anniversary? Well, my my husband's uh, an assistant manager for Macclesfield Town now, so we'll probably just be sat in watching a film because <laughs> uh, we can't go on a holiday. <laughs> I was hoping to be in Dubai, but no, we'll be in we'll be at home. I might get a cake. Have a big cake. Go yeah, for it. Eat it all cake. on your own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, the kids are not having any. No, it's mine. <laughs> all right tanya well thank you so much for joining me today and and again oh, thank you you look after yourself oh you too thank you david bye. all right bye. Bye, bye bye i really hope you enjoyed the show today don't forget to subscribe and leave a review for further support you can buy my book one for the road on amazon and you can also follow me on instagram at Sober Dave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. Until then, thanks for listening and have a great week.